Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Uh, so 2019 is coming to a close. 2020 is just around the corner. Is that crazy? Like, I feel like I should have came out here in rocket boots and just, like, landed here. It's like the, the, the Jetsons should have be happening right now, shouldn't it? Uh, so 2020, and, and so, so I don't know, for me personally, this has been a... Uh, I'm ready for 2019 to end. It hasn't been uh, for our family the, the most of the funnest of years. Uh, it, it didn't impact me directly, but it seems like a lot of people around me were impacted in 2019. So I'm ready to get done with it uh, and, and move on uh, to 2020. But 2020, it just it has that number, that ring. So we, we're ending the year, but we're also ending a decade. That's crazy. So we're starting a new decade next year, or in a couple of days. Uh, we're starting a new decade, and, and I started doing math. And so 2020, um, my oldest is going to graduate 2022, and my youngest will graduate 20, 2030. 
That means I've got 10 years that are going to be like, they're going to fly by. Things are going to be, I've got a lot to get accomplished. And I turned 40 this year. uh, So this is my year 40. And I have said 40 is my prime. 40 to 60 is going to be my pinnacle years. Um, Of course, (laughs) it's been changing for a while. I I can remember I I was about 17 years old. I can tell you the stop sign I was sitting at. And I was having one of those teenage, like, depression moments, you know, life is so hard, uh, you know, like, you're 17, what's hard? Uh, and it, it's really hard for you, those that are 17, it's just really difficult. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I remember sitting at that stop sign, I can take you to the same, to that spot, and I was just kind of like, I, I was like, when I turn 30, I'm just going to die somehow, because what's after 30? And I turned 30, and I was like... All life is after 30. Uh, and now that, uh, so I was like, yes, 30 is going to be it. And so 40 is my prime. Come on. 50 is going to be my prime. Who's in that age group with me? Come on. 50 is going to be my prime years. Who's with me? Come on. We either have too young of a church or too old of a church. I'm not sure which way. 65 is the prime. Okay. If it's, you can, yeah, we will, we'll keep going. So, hey. <laughs> But man, all right, so we, we've been walking through this series uh, leading up to Christmas about the authentic Christmas, and, and I, I wanted to really dive into and, and kind of what does Christmas really look like. And I, I messed it up a little bit for some of you, uh, but I kept plenty of material for next year because uh, we, we just kind of started getting into it. Uh, and, but now we leave, so Matthew chapter 1, 2, and 3 are this, so Matthew 1 and 2 are about Jesus' and, uh, birth, and then chapter 3 is about John uh, the Baptist, who is the forerunner of Jesus. We're introduced to him and, and what his ministry begins to take place. And you saw in the video and the scripture that was being read is that in John chapter 3, verse 13, Jesus comes from Galilee. Let's, let's, let's go there. Let's dive into there. Je- then Jesus went from Galilee. And so there's the word Galilee. So anytime uh, we study scripture, what do we, how do we study it? We study it in, in context. So the first piece of, piece of context that you need to have here is this, where is he at and what, what's going on? So, so location is important. So when, then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. Uh, so, so from Galilee, so here is Galilee. Now, last, we talked about this. So last, uh, we talked about the Christmas story. Jesus went from, uh, from, was born in Bethlehem, right? Herod came after him. They left Bethlehem. They went to Egypt down here. Uh, they spent uh, some time in Egypt. They came back to Bethlehem, but there was another Herod on the scene. And so uh, an even meaner Herod. So they left uh, from Bethlehem and he went up to Nazareth and that is Sticktown. And that's where he spent uh, his growing up years was in Nazareth and Sticktown. And if you weren't here for that message, that was last week's message. So Jesus, this man who died on, with a stick man who died on a stick was from Sticktown. Um, so Nazareth is there. There is, this is the area called Galilee. Now that's where Jesus spends the majority. When you read the New Testament, uh, well, the gospel specifically, uh, you're going to read where it, where it takes place. And the majority of what Jesus does is in Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. So as you read it, you'll, you'll hear about him finding his disciples along the Sea of Galilee. And then he goes over across the Sea of Galilee to the other side to the Decapolis, which is over here. Uh, he goes over to the Decapolis cities over in this area and he, uh, he, he cast out the demons from the, uh, the demon possessed uh, person and they jump into a herd of pigs and they jump into the water. If you remember that story, that all happens in this area. So this is where Jesus spends the majority of his time, but he leaves this area 
Capernaum is where he's, he's his home base. And it says that he left there and he comes down to where the wilderness of Judea, which was where John the Baptist was. Now, location is important to understand because, number one, this place matters to Jesus. It matters to Israel. When the, you may recognize this name right here, the city is called Jericho. When the Israelites left Egypt, and they, came, they so they left Egypt, they came on, they spent 40 years in the wilderness, they come up here, and they cross the Jordan River and attack Jericho. Remember? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. Jericho. Okay, never mind. Okay, so he's fight, he fights the battle of Jericho, and, and they, that's the first place that they come into. This is also the same place, this wilderness of Judea, is also the same place where Elisha was taken up in a fiery chariot. So there, he was there, fiery chariots come down, he's taken up into heaven, and he's gone. And so this is an important place for the, the people of Israel. Another thing that happens here is the uh, Ezekiel has a prophecy that says that the Messiah is going to come from this wilderness of Judea into Jerusalem. And that's when he's, how he's going to set up his kingship. So when Jesus, he, he for some reason finds it so important to leave this area. I mean, he couldn't he have said, hey, send some disciples down to John, tell him to get up here and baptize me up here. That's, that's reasonable, right? He is the son of God. He is God in the flesh. He could have done that, right? He had authority to do so, but instead he makes the journey from here before he's ever called any of his disciples. And he makes this long trip down to the wilderness of Judea to find John the Baptist to be baptized. Now, why would he make it so such an important thing for him to go be baptized? You. Jesus was without sin. John the Baptist was doing a baptism of repentance. So why would a man who doesn't need to find be, have any repentance need to go get baptized? Why? To give you an example of how, what we're supposed to do. So when we follow Jesus Christ, when we make the decision to follow after him, we make this the same decision and it says that John agreed to baptize him. And, and in this moment, there's something powerful that happens in this place. Now, here, here's what you have to grab is it's so vital and so important that all the gospels, there's only 10 things that all the gospels, there's four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's only 10 things that they have in common. This baptism is one of them. If it is so important for Jesus to leave Galilee, to travel all the way down to the Judean wilderness, and then for each of the gospel writers to include it, don't you think it's something important that we take a step in? So this is uh, the, the, the step of baptism is not salvational. It is obedience. So we say, Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus. Therefore, I'm going to follow after him. He's been baptized. I'll be baptized. This is so important and so vital. And I'm laying this out here with like some emphasis this morning, uh, because I want you to know next Sunday, we're going to have the opportunity to, for you to take the step of baptism. We'll have everything you need. All you need to do is show up. Uh, you can bring your family. You can let them know I'm giving you a weak heads up. Say, hey, uh, we're going to be doing baptisms. I'd love for you to be there and celebrate my new birth. So when you're baptized, and here's what's powerful. You're going to, as we get to the end of the story, you're going to see something unique happens with Jesus. That he puts this position before he starts his public ministry, he takes the step of baptism. And in Luke chapter 4, it says when he was baptized, spent the time in the wilderness, that he came out of it empowered by the Holy Spirit. And this is going to be vital for us in 2020. If we're going to be who God's called us to be as individuals, if we're going to be who we are called to be as a church, we need to jump in this and understand we 
are chosen to be walking with him. We're following after him and we need to take the step of baptism. Amen. So he says, as he's coming out of the water, uh, it says a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy, great joy. So after the baptism, he has this moment where he's identified as the son of God. And then immediately afterwards, it's that you go see, this is the problem with some of our Bibles. It goes from, uh, we have these chapters and verses in there and we stop at chapters and the story's connected. So, but, so we see Jesus is baptized and in chapter four, it says the, Jesus was led to the wilderness. Here's what it says. It's all one story. It's all connected. Let me show you. It says, then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness. So he was baptized over here. And most believe that it was in this area. And uh, it's called Bethany uh, beyond the Jordan. So they think it's over here. And then he moves over here and goes into the wilderness and spends uh, time in there. So it says he was tempted in there by the, uh, by the devil. So here's this word tempted. So I got to lay a lot of context for you. Foundational for, for where we're going. So this word tempted is, is here. It says that Jesus was tempted. Now, immediately, this is, we have a problem with the English language. And it's not a problem with the Bible. Here's the problem with our English language. When I say tempted, you immediately think of a negative thing, right? So it's, it's, you were tempted to, to, yeah, let's just not make any, you know what I mean, right? Uh, you tempted to do negative things. Immediately goes there. But this word is, in the Greek, looks like this, pierzo. Is a is the Greek word, and in this Greek word is is more than just the word tempted. In fact, some of the older translations would have the word tested, because that word tested is it's a combination really of the two. It should be he was tempted and tested, or tested and tempted. I, however you want to throw it in there, but uh, tempted is, seems to lean towards negative. But how many of you went to school? I know we're on Christmas break, so I got to bring this up. How many of you love test? Good, because if you raised your hand at that moment, we would all tell you how much we hate you. Uh, but there are some people who love to take tests. In a test, though, a test is given by a teacher so that they can identify to them and to yourself where you stand on the material you're supposed to have consumed. Or did you stay up too late and play too many video games? What, you know, what did, you, did you learn the material that was given to you? And so, so you get the test and it reveals to you, <laughs> you get it back and you're like, oh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I don't know as much as I think I know. Or, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I guess pretty good on this one. You know, it's, it's one or the other. So you, test, though, re, just simply reveals where you stand. So in this, I love the, the um, there's a, a great book uh, by um, multiple authors, multiple scholars who uh, connect the New Testament to the Old Testament. And then this word, as you study out the tempted, it has, this is what it says. It's testing for good or evil and even the hope or expectation of failure. So there's the expectation that you're going to take the test and you're going to fail. How many have a teacher like that or had a teacher that gave you a test and expected you to fail? They were, they made it so that you fail. This is what comes with this word. So the, here we are, this word tempted. Now, it says that Jesus was led and tempted there by the devil. He was in the wilderness and tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, as I'm telling that, and I'm reading that story to you, this verse, does it ring a bell of any other Bible stories you may have heard? 
maybe back a few years ago, maybe when you were talking about how there was a, a, a children of Israel. Okay, I'll give it to you. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Let me show you. It says simply, remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character and to find out whether or not you would obey the commands. What, what is happening here? Matthew is making sure we connect something. That Jesus is connecting what the, Hebrew, the Israelites experienced coming out of Egypt. He's doing it all over again. Because when they were tested, did they pass or fail? Failed. Failed miserably. And so he's saying, hey, I'm going to retake this test for you. Let me show you how it's done. There's also another connection because there's this word that says, during that time, the devil came. Now, you hear devil. What do you think of? You think of red dude in a, uh, you know, horns, pitchfork, little tail. Is that, or maybe you think of a black evil creature with black wings. and uh, you, you have an image, right? It's wrong. Okay. Uh, especially the ones, uh, when you look at paintings of this, I was going through paintings and pictures of what, how people have depicted Jesus. Uh, that's why I love this video because it didn't give us an image of evil, of the devil. It, it just, it was there. You could feel it. Uh, the, the, we have this idea that men, angelic things were, had these wings. The devils would have these wings and they would have, you know, the toe, you know, it's just, you know, evil. You know what I'm talking about. The problem is, is there's not any man image in the Bible that has wings attached to it, including angels. Sorry. Biblically speaking, they just didn't have wings. Um, there's some animals and creatures that have wings, but angels don't. Um, and so, uh, let's just, uh, let's just take all that out of our mind. But what I do need you to understand is that the devil is real. Evil is real, and Jesus is confronting it. Now, here, here's the problem that many times we do. We go to the Bible, and we want to know, where did, the, where did evil come from? That's one of the major questions I get asked. Good. So where did evil come from? What made evil? If God is good, why, why is there evil? And the problem with, the, with what we're doing is that we're going to the Bible to ha- get an answer that it doesn't give. It never was meant to be a book that told us where evil came from. It's a book on how God is dealing with evil. And so when we read this, we're not looking to find an origin of evil or the devil or what he looks like. We just need to understand the devil is real. It is, it's coming against us and it's coming against God. Now, another thing that I want you to grab of this story is in every other gospel story, every other single one of them, there's at least three eyewitnesses. At least three eyewitnesses. How many were in this one? None. There were none. And so this is when, when he... Oh, yeah. Uh, come back to that. When, when, he, when he says... That, that when he, so how do we get this story in the Gospels? The only way we get this is that Jesus told his disciples the story. It was so important that Jesus... That the disciples know this story. Why would it be so important that not only did he tell his disciples, but they told their disciples and then they wrote it down in books and that we have it today? Why? Because he knew his disciples were going to face the same temptations that he was going to, he, that he faced and he was giving them the keys to how to overcome it. Now, we talked about Israel. Let me grab this real quick because this is important to understand. Anybody got a connection between this devil dude that shows up after Jesus is commissioned on his ministry 
And there's another example in Genesis of, a, of when they were given their commission of how to operate the earth and who shows up? The serpent. Not only does Jesus connect it to the Israelites and their story of a failed test, he connects it to all humanity and our failed test. So we have all this in context. So here we are. We got, uh, it says, now we jump into the, the meat of the matter. So I just spent all that time giving you the context. Now let's jump into the meat of what takes place. So Jesus is in the wilderness. He's told his disciples the stories, and this is what they write. If This is what the devil says. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now the first thing you got to hear is that the enemy attacks what? Who Jesus is. If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God, then, then tell these stones. It, it goes connect. Why it's so important that we connect the scripture is Jesus had just been baptized and heard from heaven who he was. And immediately the devil comes at him and says, if you are, if you are, what, if you're really the son of God, why are the circumstances the way they are? If you're a child of God, why, why are your circumstances this way? If, if your father really loves you, then why are you in the wilderness starving? Why are you out here? Why are your circumstances? You know, this is back to that, what we talked about that last week is that hunky-dory myth. Once I follow Jesus, everything's going to be hunky-dory. Well, why is it all hunky-dory? Why am I still dealing with the same spouse that I'm still fighting with? Why is it I'm still dealing with the same addictions I've been dealing with? Why is it I'm around the same, in the same job that I've been in? Why, is it, why didn't everything become hunky-dory? Because if, if, you, if you're the son of God, if you're a child of God, if you're a daughter of God, another way he'll come at us is this way. If you're really a child of God, then why do you make the decisions you're making? If you, if you really are, don't you think you should be beyond that place of making those kind of mistakes and those kind of decisions? If you are a child of God, he says, then Jesus responds to him, tell these people, uh, but Jesus told them, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. They do not live by bread alone. See, you can have, this is, Jesus confronts something that the enemies tries to distort. See, he says, hey, everything would be smoother around here if you just had the physical substance around you. If you just had the physical things and the food that you need, then everything would be okay. If you just had the right house and the right amount in the bank account and the right type of car and an extra boat that you can take on, on your trips, then, then everything would be okay. Then you would have that place where you would be. Then, then I might say you're a child of God. And Jesus confronts him and says, no, you don't understand. We do not live by bread alone. We do not live by physical substance alone. See, it's not about, see, you can have all the things of this world around you, all the physical substance around you, and you'll sustain, but you may not be living. What you need is purpose. You have to have purpose in your life. This is who we are, what we're created to be. This is why he says, you don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus speaks to the devil and to himself. It's not about what you're saying of who I am. It's about who my father says I am. I am a child of God. It says, then the devil took him into the holy city in Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, again, 
questioning who he is. And again, this is uh, one of those, I, I like the video that we had because it, it has a lot of abstract to it. Uh, and Jesus probably was not mo- taken to the actual temple. Most likely he was having a prophetic vision. So the prophets have these in the, in the Old Testament. There's several times where a prophet is in a cave and he's having a vision and he then is in Jerusalem and he's like walking around Jerusalem and then all of a sudden he's back in the cave and he's a little disoriented by it. It's kind of, kind of humorous how it goes down. Uh, but in this situation, Jesus is seeing himself on top of, of the temple and it says, if you are the son of God, jump off for the scriptures say, say, he will order your, his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. This is, this is interesting because the devil like, uses a tactic that he used in Genesis. The same tactic. I'm going to take what God said and I'm going to twist it just a little bit. I'm going to just adjust it just a little bit to fit. If you are the son of God, then why isn't everything better if you are the son of god then why don't you just prove it to all of us that that's really what you are jump off this is coming from uh, the, he's quoting uh here psalm 90 91 this week sometime maybe this afternoon uh read psalm 91 it's a beautiful psalm of god's provision when we go through difficult times but what the devil's asking jesus to do is to create a difficult time to test him and Jesus responds by saying and quoting from Deuteronomy 6, says he will order his, uh, oh, sorry, he, you must not test the Lord your God. And he's quoting back to Deuteronomy 6 when the, the, the Israelites are questioning and testing God in the wilderness saying, let us go back to Egypt because we're going to die of starvation out here. And Jesus is saying, hey, you, you've got the wrong idea. See, when you go through difficult times, God will be with you. When your circumstances are rough, God will be with you. But it's, you don't create the situations and then say, God, you didn't protect me from them. Oh, you, you won't even stub your little toe on anything. That's like saying, hey, um, let's get a treadmill out here. Let's get the, you ever see those videos, those guys dumping the Legos on the treadmill and then walking on barefoot like a bunch of idiots? It's like us going, okay, let's do this, set up that same scenario. I'm going to jump on the treadmill and God's going to protect me from the Legos. No. He, see, what we have to understand is, in the first situation, uh, devil is confronting who Jesus is. And this question, he's coming and he's saying, how, questioning what God is doing. So this is, this, is how, this is where he's taking him step by step. So it says, the next day, no, I'm sorry, next the devil, no, not the next day. It says, next the devil took him uh, up to the peak of a very high mountain and showed um, all the kingdoms of the world for, and their glory. And he says, I will give it all to you, he said, if you kneel down and worship me. This is, I, I don't have a lot of time to spend here, but what just took place is the devil says, I have the power of the governments. And I'll give them over to you if you'll just worship me. And I don't think I need to spend much time talking about how the enemy has, a, has the ability to control governments and manipulate the world powers. Unfortunately, if you're over the age of 20, you were born into the worst, most, uh, the most amount of deaths in wars that were supposed to bring us peace. 
and we have this idea that we're going after utopia, but we're willing to kill over it. And he's saying, so the enemy is real. He has power. He says, I'm going to give it to you. But Jesus says to him, get out of here, Satan. In every other scripture up to this point, every other, in the first two, Jesus begins by confronting him right back with scripture. <laughs> and I love it because I wanted to actually, I was hoping I could find a video of like two karate dudes fighting each other. Uh, where it'd be like, you know, the devil comes, scripture. And Jesus goes, and goes with scripture and, you know, then got back and forth. That's just how I see it in my mind. I'm sorry. Um, but, but I couldn't find it. So we had, you had to settle with a more realistic one. Uh, but here we, he says, instead of coming at him immediately with scripture, he says, get out of here, Satan. Now, if you've, if you pay attention to what Matthew is doing, he uses this exact same phrase in Matthew chapter 16. And let, let me give you the background to Matthew chapter 16 before I show you where he uses the phrase. He takes his disciples uh, to Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi and they have this moment where he asks his disciples, who do, you say, who do people say that I am? And they're like, well, some say you're this, some say that. You know, this is what the gospel says. And then he says, but who do you say that I am? And, and Peter goes, ooh, 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 me, me. You are the Messiah. Yeah. You got it right. Well done. Jesus pats him on the back. And then Jesus goes, hey, by the way, I'm going to have to go to the cross. Uh, we're going to make, turn from here. We're going to go to Jerusalem. And I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter goes, no way. No, 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 no. You're the Messiah. Read the Psalms. Read the prophets. The Messiah doesn't go and get crucified. The Messiah sets up his army and takes over. Okay, so I'm not going to let that happen. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. In both situations, Jesus is being confronted with not the end results, but how they got there. See, Jesus confronts Satan and he confronts Peter the same way because they're both saying, hey, let's do this a different way than what God had planned. He confronts the how. He confronts the how. Get out of here, Satan. Then the devil went away, and the angels came back, came and took care of Jesus. Okay, this is all important, powerful stuff, because I need you to understand where we're going in 2020. On January 1st, we're starting 21 days of prayer and fasting. For some of you, you get excited because you know the testimonies that have come out of this season in the past seven years. Even before we started the church, we've been doing 21 days of prayer and fasting in January. And we're saying we're giving this 21 days to God. But for some of you, this is new to you. And so I want to explain some things. Number one, fasting is when you give up something that you, of substance in your life uh, that, that you rely on, that you really enjoy. For some of you, you need, to, you need to choose something like social media. For some of you, you can fast talk radio. For some of you, you may say, you know what, I, I need to give up uh, a Mountain Dew. I need to give up tobacco, alcohol. You're going you're to lay something of substance, physical substance aside for 21 days. And the important thing is, is just as Jesus went into the wilderness, is so that we are prepared for 2020 to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be empowered by him to do what he's called us to do. So this is what we're doing. We're doing 21 days. And it, Jesus shows us and illustrates in this what we need to do so that we can get power out of the testing. 
And the first thing that we need to understand is this, is that to get power from the test, we need to reflect on our identity. So as you lay aside these t- this time, you put aside uh, the, the, the time uh, of, of 21 days saying, I'm going to give this up for 21 days. Or I, I, what I do is I do a progressive fast. I, take, I, I slowly lead things to a full fast, and then I come out of a full fast. And so it's, it's a progressive. I eliminate things day by day as I go through that fast. It, we don't tell you what to fast. We tell you to fast. So you're going, well, as you're doing this, though, you're doing it so that you can reflect on your identity. Your identity is not on the alcohol that has consumed you for so many years. Your identity is not in the tobacco. Your identity is not in the porn. Your identity is not in the being, uh, being consumed by having to have caffeine. Your identity is not by social media and what they're telling you it is. Your identity is not by the media and what they're trying to tell you what it is. Your identity is in Jesus Christ and him alone. So you spend this time, you set it aside, and you say, this is what I'm doing, and this is why I'm doing it. And the st- second thing that you, to get the power from the test is you need to focus on your purpose. You need to understand you were created by God and designed specifically by him for this time, for this season. You were never meant to live in any other period. 2020 is indeed your year. It doesn't mean it's going to be flying smooth and everything's going to be hunky-dory. It means God's going to use you and equip you to do great things for his kingdom. See, I, I, man, I, we got to understand that sometimes when we do things the way he's asked us to do them, it means it's going to cost us our life, but it's not about my physical substance. There are Christians right now in Syria being martyred because of their following Jesus Christ, but their life is greater, their, their relationship with Jesus is greater than their physical life. We got to stop thinking that things are going to be smooth and all blessings and all smooth, great, set, hunky-dory Okay, see, I got to get to a place where we go, I'm gonna, I need to focus on my purpose. And sometimes my focus is going to cost me something. Sometimes my purpose is going to mean something. I got I to gotta dig in. I'm going to have to go a little bit further. I'm going to invest a little bit more. I'm going to have to give more of my time, more of my finances, more of my talents into that thing. So you focus on your purpose, and then we're going to hear God clearly. This is what the enemy tried to do is con, con, they, con, mess up and twist and use scripture to mess them up. And this is what we're going to do is we're going to grab into the context of the word of God and dive into who he is and what he's speaking to us. We're going to grow in our relationship with him. And as we walk through this time, we're going to say, God, speak to me clearly. This is why at the end of it, we're launching the connect groups. January 26th, you need to be in the word of God yourself. But one of the most powerful things you can do is get a group of people around you going, hey, I was in the word and this is what I was dealing with. What do you think? And allow the ministry of the church to take you. That's why you'll hear me say over and over again, this right here is the introduction to Authentic Church, but our connect groups is who Authentic Church is. And finally, we're going to trust him completely. We are going to trust God completely with 2,000 20. And it might begin with you saying, I'm going to trust God completely with this afternoon. I'm going to trust God completely with Monday. I'm going to trust God with this next week, this next month, this next year. I'm going to trust him completely. See, I don't know what 2020 has in store for me. I thought I had 2010 to 2020 figured out. (laughs) Was I wrong? I don't know how it's going to go. 
I don't know what hills I'm going to have to climb, mountains I'm going to have to traverse, valleys I'm going to have to go through. I don't know. But I know I'm going to trust God completely with 2020. Lord Jesus, thank you for the example of going into the wilderness, confronting evil, so that we can walk in victory. Lord, I give you glory today. Lord, challenge me. Challenge my heart. Challenge my mind. Lord, allow me to know the things that I need to lay aside so that I can trust you completely. Lord, I pray a blessing over this church, Lord, that we would understand and walk in a relationship with you that equips us to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name.